So today on the Button Up Podcast, we have Tan Pham, founder of Asian Efficiency. How's it going, Tan? Hey, how's it going? Good to be here, and thanks for having me. Absolutely. So I started following the Asian Efficiency after Menfluential last year, but the past year, it's been one of like the staple podcasts in my week, and so I know a little bit of your story, but I can't wait to hear a little bit more about you know where you grew up and how you started Asian Efficiency. I was born and raised in the Netherlands, so I was there till I was 18. And uh, after finishing high school, I went to college in Los Angeles. And then I dropped out after two years, and uh, I started working full-time at this life coaching business in L.A. And um, when I got promoted, I was, uh, like, really overwhelmed with all the new responsibilities and tasks and the things that I had to do. And so I felt like, man, I need to figure this out because I was so behind on work. I was losing clients. And so I started to study productivity, thinking that, you know, if I can just be more efficient and more effective, then I can get ahead at work again and stay on top of things and and make sure that I'm accountable for all the things that I need to report to. So I started reading a bunch of productivity books, studying like Brian Tracy, Tony Robbins and all these different people on like success and, you know, how to be more uh, accomplished in life. And so I started to kind of like learn from them and some things kind of worked for me, some things didn't, some things kind of like put me back. And eventually I kind of figured out my own system. And over time I was able to then like read 35 books in one year, listen to 21 audio books and travel to several countries and lose like 20 pounds. And so I was like, oh man, this is amazing. And then people started noticing this and they started to ask me questions about like, Tan, how did you do that? Or how do you approach like your to-do list and how do you manage your time and such? And so I thought, oh, let's start a blog about this. And uh, that's where Asian Efficiency was born because that's kind of like <laughs> the, the name that people gave me uh, because they thought I was efficient because I was Asian. But, you know, it couldn't be further from the truth. So it was all, you know, kind of like figuring out on my own, like how to be productive and how to be efficient. And then I just start sharing every single week where I write a blog post and just shared what I knew. And uh, from there, after six months or so from publishing every single week and just showing up to do that for my friends and family, it just took a life of its own and then it accidentally turned into a business. So I'm super fortunate to be able to do something that I'm really passionate about and also making that a business as well. Yeah. So what took you to L.A. from the Netherlands? Did you always want to make it to the States? Yeah, so my grandparents lived in Los Angeles at that time. And when I was six years old, my parents uh, had just enough money to send me to the States. So we were first-generation immigrants. My parents were working on a farm, you know, blue-collar workers. And they were saving up money so that they can send me to, their, you know, to my grandparents, their parents, so that they could continue to work full-time on the farm and make, you know, some extra money. And then I would be, you know, in the States during the summer. And so uh, I had a really amazing time. I was actually staying at my grandparents for a little bit. And then I stayed at my uncle, who is my mom's brother. And uh, he was, you know, studying for his PhD at that time. And so when I was staying with him, you know, this guy was like, you know, 25, 27 or something, you know, single as you can be and doesn't know anything about raising a kid or taking care of a kid. So all he did was take me to Olive Garden, give me McDonald's every day take me to like Six Flags and like Universal Studios. And I thought, man, I have the most amazing life ever. This is so fun. Like I want to live here. So ever since I was six, I said, man, I really want to live in Los Angeles. So since then I, I made it my dream and I made every decision since then to kind of figure out like, how do I get to the States? So I've changed schools. I 
like learned English. I learned like all these different things just to set myself up to be able to move to the States. And then eventually I did. Yeah. You basically hit the kid jackpot there. That sounds pretty cool. <laughs> so what year then? That's, a, that's, a, that's America in a nutshell, <laughs> yeah. right? Olive Garden, Six Flags. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> McDonald's. Yep. American dream. So then, so what year then do you start blogging? So this was back in 2011. I remember reading like Gary Vaynerchuk's first book um, on like how to follow your passion and like, you know, do what you love. And I was like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Okay, I'm really passionate about productivity and being efficient and breaking things down and creating systems around that sort of stuff. Uh, I was never good at it, but I was really passionate about it. So as I was studying that at that time, I thought, okay, let me just start blogging. And I think, uh, you know, that made the most sense at that time. And so I just started blogging back in 2011 and I haven't you know, missed a publishing date in like eight years now. So we publish every single Tuesday uh, on the blog and now on the, on the Monday we release a podcast, podcast as well. So uh, it was just, yeah, something that, you know, back then blogging was like the thing to do, right? Back in 2011, like YouTube wasn't that big at that time. And blogging was like the main vehicle for people to kind of like consume content. You know, that's when RSS feeds were still like a thing. Um, and Rest so, yeah, Rest just doing that. Google Reader. <laughs> oh man, I loved Google so Reader. That was, that was one of my favorite tools. Uh, yeah, I miss that a lot. So then you start blogging and then you're still doing you know, your, your full-time job, when does it start to get a little, you said six months, but when does it start to get some more traction? Yeah, about six months in, we started to get a lot of traffic from all these different websites and, um, people just started emailing me and saying, Hey, I really love your content. Where can I buy some of your stuff or hire you for coaching or whatever? And I had to say, you know, uh, well, this is just, you know, free. Like this is just a passion project of mine. Like I have nothing for sale. And then a few months later, I just kept coming over and over and over. And I thought, oh, man, maybe maybe I should turn this into a business. So me and my business partner at the time, we turned it into a business. And we just started creating courses based on the stuff that we already shared on the blog. So every piece of information was already technically free. But we just kind of packaged it up and made it more convenient for people to kind of go through the content and made it more actionable and simple for people to go through and kind of give them like a learning to get a specific outcome. And so from there, I just took a life of its own. Uh, going back for a second to pre-Asian efficiency, how did you go from like Six Flags and Olive Garden to uh, working in life coaching? Yeah, so when I was in college, I went there for the first year and I was like, I was always interested in like personal developments and stuff like that. So I kept reading books and one of the first, bo first books I've ever read was uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad when I was like 13. And it was actually the book that inspired me to start my first business when I was 14. Um, I had my web development like agency at that time. So I started freelancing first, just I taught myself how to code and program. And I was interesting fact, I was one of the first people who created the public uh, RSS feed reader in PHP that people could use for, for like open source stuff. And so when I published that, I was able to get a lot of clients because that's when RSS was like slowly kind of like making the, making the interwebs. And uh, people were using my script at that time to kind of like interpret and parse RSS feeds. And so that got me a lot of clients when I was 14. And so as I started to hire more people and like I started to teach my friends how to code and we kind of like built this small web development agency. And so I had that for like four or five years before I uh, 
uh, sold it to a friend of mine because I was just focused in college. And so when I was in college, I just kept reading books about business and like personal development and stuff like that. And then one day I went to a seminar uh, by this life coach in Los Angeles and I was so inspired by him that I went up to him and I said, hey, um, I loved your talk. I know you're in Los Angeles as well. Like I would love to take you out for lunch sometime. And, um, and he agreed to that. So we went out for lunch uh, a few weeks later and then he, I guess he saw a lot of potential in me. So he said, hey, Tan, you should come uh, like intern for me. I was like, oh, okay, yeah, let's let's go ahead and do that. So I started interning for him uh, for two weeks, and then two weeks later, he was like, hey, I want you to come work full full time for me. And that was when I had to make a decision, and I said, you know what, I'm learning so much more here than I was in school at that time. So after two years, I said, okay, let me just drop out, and I'm going to work for him full time. Hmm. Um, but it was kind of a not so good decision because I was in the states on this student visa. So when you're in a student visa, you have to stay enrolled in school. So I had to figure out a way and basically could work for him for full time for one year. And then I had to go back to school. Mm-hmm. And then what ended up happening was uh, I worked for him for a year and then I forgot to enroll back into school. And so a few months later, I got a letter saying, hey, it doesn't seem like you're enrolled. Um, we have to take your visa back. So you're going to have to leave the country. So that's when I left the country. Um, and that's when Asian efficiency kind of got started because I was trying to figure out what to do next. So I just started blogging and that's uh, where the blog was born. Nice. And was that, cause I know you travel a lot now. Was that like the beginning of your, the travel bug or, or were you already traveling? I've always been uh, a big traveler when I grew up in the Netherlands because it's within the EU, it's so easy to travel to places and especially with Ryanair, you know, around there, like you can travel for like 15 euros, which would be like 20 bucks one way somewhere. So as a teenager, I would go to like Czech Republic, I would go to France and I would, you know, go to Portugal and stuff uh, because it was just so cheap and it's so easy and accessible. It's kind of like when you're flying from Phoenix to, you know, Austin or something, it's like an hour and a half flight and you're there, right? But in the EU, you're like in a different country where you're, you know, in a different culture and different language. So it was just something I've always really enjoyed. And from that point on, it just kind of continued and kind of like uh, became a hobby of mine. Nice. And so what was the point where you were like, because I'm sure there was a gap there before like Asian efficiency was, you know, enough to take a salary and all that. Um, was there like a point where you're like, okay, this is, this is my career now, or this is my focus for, for the, you know, for the next period of my life? You know, when we uh, launched our first product, it was uh, it was called Better Sleep. We were teaching people how to sleep better because sleep is so important for your energy and focus. And uh, the mistake that we made was um, we had, you know, a small audience at that time and we had an email list and we kind of like had communication between our audience and stuff. But the mistake that we made was we were doing research online and we noticed like a lot of people were having sleep problems and we noticed that, you know, it was affecting their productivity. So we created this course on sleep and then we sold it to our own audience. But then when we launched it, it was just like tumbleweeds flying by and crickets and, and nobody bought anything. Hmm. Uh, and the, that's when we learned like, oh, you know, if we want to create products, we should interview and talk to our own audience, not just random people on the internet. Hmm. So the first product that we created was a total bomb. And so uh, we said, okay, we need to fix this somehow. So we started to learn about like the lean startup and that, those kind of ideas and just like interviewing people and kind of like building a product alongside with them and stuff like that. So instead of doing that for software, we would do that for information products like courses and eBooks and, and such. 
And so we started to do that, and then we found out, oh, there's this one program that everybody seems to use, and nobody really knows how to use it, and it's called OmniFocus, one of the most popular task managers on the Mac and iOS. So we started to create a course around that, and uh, we started publishing free content on the blog about OmniFocus, and uh, people really loved it. And then when we launched the course, uh, it just took off. Like it allowed us to go from like this is a hobby to now being a full-time business, and we basically was able to afford two salaries of people. Um, and that's when like we were able to make the transition to go full-time. And then from there, we just start hiring people and reinvesting as much as we could, you know, still living on a budget to just try to reinvest as much as we could to uh, grow the business and hire others. And then over time, it kind of like grew from there from like creating different products to like creating a subscription business and then kind of like uh, all the other different products we created over time. Hmm. Where were you living at this point? So when Asian Efficiency got started, I was living in Bangkok, Thailand at that time. And then I w- did a little detour. I lived in Budapest for a year where I started like working at a startup there as well. Uh, I, got, I had a bunch of friends who had a startup there, so I joined them for a year. Uh, I was only supposed to be there for four days for a vacation, but I ended up staying there for a year um, to help them out. And then I, uh, once it became a full-time business, I moved back to the States in Los Angeles. Yeah. Okay, okay. So, so you went back to LA, you know, got your own place and everything, and then... When did you move to Austin? Uh, so I moved back to the States in 2012 and then or late 2012, early 2013. And then I moved to Austin in about 2014. Yeah. Okay. Very nice. Yeah. We got, we got a little taste of Austin at the, um, at thrive conference, a uh, little taste of 36, <laughs> 36. Yeah. 36. You had some yeah. barbecue. You had all the good stuff. Yeah, the donuts. Yeah, I, I see why they call it 36 now. <laughs> uh, but do you think you're going to be there for, you know, for, for a while? I mean, pe- people seem to love Austin. Like, the, the people that I know who live there seem to not really want to leave. Yeah, I really like this town. I was only supposed to be here for six months uh, because I thought I was going to move to New York and live there because I've always been a big city guy. Uh, but I loved Austin because of the small town feel. Like when you go to the grocery store, people kind of recognize you and they remember you by your name and you run into people that you know and see. So uh, I really like that because in Los Angeles, it's kind of a like anonymous city. Like yeah. You can go out anywhere and not run into people whatsoever. So you can kind of be anonymous and do whatever you want. But I kind of like the uh, intimate setting of like just running into people, saying hi and saying hello. So um, I know renewing my lease every six months thinking that I was going to move to New York. And then not too long ago, I, I came to New York during Christmas because um, I wanted to see Christmas and experience that. And I was like, man, it is so cold out here. No way I'm moving here. It's not going to be worthwhile living here for six months out of the year. So uh, then I said, you know what? I'm going to stay in Austin. It's nice and warm and sunny and we have good food and people here as well. So I'm going to stay here for a while. Nice. So when you came back in 2012, did you get or did you start working on U.S. citizenship? What's your visa status now? Yeah, so we have... A, if that's not too personal. Yeah, no, it's totally uh, <laughs> public. Um, it, we have a green card. So my grandparents, when they lived uh, in the States, or they're still here, uh, they lived like 50% here, 50% uh, abroad. And uh, they sponsored my parents. So this application was like submitted back in 1999. And it wasn't processed and approved until 2010. So it took us about 11 years to get approved. So when I got kicked out of the country, 
uh, or I was left or I was asked politely to leave the country, I should say. <laughs> um, uh, I, I kind of knew I was going to come back. I just didn't know when it just took a while for the paperwork to kind of finalize and then do the interview and stuff. And so while my parents got their green card approved, uh, because I was their kid and I was under 18 at the time when it was submitted, uh, I got my green card as a result of that. So super fortunate to be able to live here now and still have my Dutch passport so I can live in the EU if I want to, um, and, and travel. Yeah. So, so when, uh, when did you start getting into fashion? Cause I know now you, you care, you know, about the way you dress. Um, you're into, uh, you know, designer fashion, um, I guess somewhat recently into watches, but was that always a passion? I wouldn't say it was a passion because, um, I, I, because I grew up in the Netherlands, one of the first things I noticed when I moved to the States was that most people don't dress as well compared to where I grew up. And I grew up in a relatively small town, like 250,000 people, uh, about an hour outside of Amsterdam. So I remember when I was 15, I was wearing blazers already. Like that was like the thing to wear back then, uh, wearing blazers, button up shirts and stuff. And, um, and I, I think like the, the standard of people dressing in Europe is a little higher than most states. So I, I was used to wearing button up shirts and, and, you know, kind of like wearing smaller size, like fitting, uh, clothing. And so when I moved to the States, I noticed like, oh, everybody's wearing like baggy stuff and like, you know, like stuff is way oversized and, and such. And I was like, oh, okay. I, I, I guess that's just the thing here. So I, I've always worn like fitted clothing in that sense. Uh, but I didn't really get into kind of like the designer stuff until I was starting making like a decent income. Uh, because I, for example, one of my favorite brands growing up was always Diesel. Right? When I was younger, especially in high school, it's like, oh, Diesel, like I love their jeans and like their shirts look so cool because it, it had a classy or classic look, but with a little bit of an edge. And I've always liked that because it made me like stand out a little bit compared to my friends in school because everybody was dressed always classic. Um, and I always wanted a little bit of a difference. So I, I really resonated with Diesel because their jeans were a little different or their shirts would be a little bit different. And then, for example, as I was, you know, maturing and growing up and, and being able to afford nicer things, uh, I kind of still like that style, but now it's a little bit more refined. So, for example, I think the mature version of Diesel is uh, YSL, you know, Saint Laurent, right? So it's kind of like it still has a classic look, but there's something like a little bit of a statement piece to it or there's something unique about it where you, you wouldn't know it is YSL, but there's something different about it. And I kind of, I kind of like that style. So that's, uh, it's just like a little, you know, involvement over time. Um, but yeah, it was just, it wasn't until like maybe three, four years ago when I really started to focus on like, okay, like I'm making decent income. I want to upgrade my wardrobe. Uh, David Beckham has always been a good inspiration for me to kind of see like what he, what he wears and what he does. Um, and then lately it's been like people like, k-pop stars kind of like seeing what they're wearing uh ever since i've been to japan like i'm really interested in like J japanese streetwear and kind of like what they're wearing like right now i'm wearing like a bape and adidas track jacket like, which is you know <laughs> totally totally random but i was like oh man i saw this in japan i was like this is so cool like i want to wear this so i just yeah, yeah like the more you travel and the more you see different parts of the world you just see like different things that people are wearing right so like when you go to italy in the summer like people are really wearing like lots of linen and it's like they're a little bit oversized and it's a little bit more you know like casual and loose and then 
you go to New York during the winter and everybody wears black and it's like a little bit more refined and classic and stuff. And so I always get like inspiration from different places and uh, like I don't even know how to classify myself to be honest. That was definitely one of the things I learned traveling through Europe is now like in any airport, I can tell the Europeans apart from the Americans just on shoes. It's like, oh, that guy, really high chance he's a European because he has nice shoes. Yeah, everybody in the Netherlands, every time I go back, I try to go back every few years, like everybody wears like chukka boots and like Chelsea boots are like completely normal there, right? Like um, when you go to like different parts of Europe, people wear a lot of loafers and stuff. And like, you know, when I watch like you guys' videos and other people's YouTube videos, like, you know, they talk about this if Chelsea boots are like, you know, the hot thing. And it's like, you know, you got to wear this. It's like, man, I was growing up with that stuff. Like, that is so adorable over there. Like, what's the big deal? So it's just really funny to kind of have that perspective. You mentioned going back to uh, the Netherlands. But one of the things that I've learned in the last year is you said you have a standing um, session, essentially, to go back to L.A. to see your family really tight, close ties with your family. And I don't know if you just speak to that a little bit and like how that's really shaped you overall. Yeah, so I read this book a few years ago, back in 2014 or 2015. It's one of my favorite books ever. It's called 30 Lessons for Living. So the whole uh, premise of the book is that the author interviewed people who were about to die. And he asked them, like, what's one life lesson you would pass on to your kids or to the next generation? And so he interviewed thousands of people, and then he compiled it in 30 lessons. And one of the lessons that really resonated with me was... Uh, one, don't work so hard. Like you're gonna regret working so hard. Uh, and two, spend more time with your parents and your friends and family. And so it really resonated with me because uh, at the time, one, I was working really hard. And then two, uh, I was not spending enough time with my friends and family. And so I'm, I'm somebody who likes to learn from others. I've always had like influential people in my life, like mentors or people who've been a little bit ahead of me. And I, I love learning from them and they've always impaired wisdom on me, whether it was my uncle or somebody else, you know, and I've, I've always taken their advice to heart. And so I read this book and I realized, oh man, these are the life lessons that, you know, the elderly would pass on. Like it's only smart for me to take this on. And so from that point on, I said, okay, I should spend more time with my parents. And so even though I live in Austin, I try to fly out every six weeks to see them. Um, same thing, uh, you know, ever since my, especially since my parents got divorced, I try to see both, you know, parties to, as much as I can. And same thing with my brother. Like my brother lives in LA, my older brother lives in Amsterdam. And so I try to see them as much as I can. And um, if I can't fly out there, then I try to fly, have them fly out here or something. So that, um, you know, I just, I just know from the book and also from personal experience like how important relationships are for your own happiness. And like, you know, and I've been in situations where, you know, I, I had a lot of money and then it's like, you know, you're kind of empty and unhappy because you don't have any friends or something. And then I've also had periods where I didn't have a lot of money, but because I had a lot of friends, I felt really good about everything. And so I definitely learned that relationships are just so important, you know, and spending time with quality people. So one of the many reasons I love like seeing you guys at Menfluential or when we did Man Camp is just like spending time together and kind of like learning from each other and like, you know, sharing ideas and stuff like that and just hearing up, you know, hearing what you're up to and how we can help each other out and stuff like that. And it's just like the better relationships we have, like the happier we are and, you know, um, and money is just like, you know, something that makes life a little bit more comfortable and, you know, don't get me wrong. Like, I think we all would like to have more money, but, uh, just making more money for the sake of more money doesn't really make people that much happier. 
Yeah, and that well, that's a good uh, lead into your brunches too, because I love when you do these brunches and uh, down in Austin. Yeah, I organize like brunches and dinner parties and like just try to bring people together. And one of the things I've kind of learned is that uh, you guys probably have experienced this too. You probably know a lot of people by name. You maybe recognize them when you walk down the street and you say hello and you have you know a little bit of small talk, but you don't really know know them, right? So. I wanted to create more deeper, meaningful relationships with people, with the people I already knew. So I, uh, I started hosting dinner parties because when you host, uh, you can invite people, you can curate who's coming, and you can that way you know build a more meaningful relationship with people. So I start hosting these dinner parties, and uh, just, just one a really really fun time. I love hosting people, and introducing people to new things, but also introducing new people to each other that would benefit from, you know, getting to know each other. Um, and so, you know, one of the things that really made me happy was when I celebrated my birthday last year, uh, we went to a bar and uh, I just invited a bunch of people and then everybody came out and we packed the whole bar. It was like 60, 70 people or something. And uh, I was like, man, this this is so beautiful because I was now seeing people that didn't know each other, like people I was doing business with and then people I met like at a hip hop class or something. And because they're all friends of mine, we all have, you know, similar philosophies and values. And then they got connected with each other. And then they start either dating or collaborating with each other or whatever. And it's like, wow, I made that happen. And it's like, you know, makes me feel really good. I like that. Definitely a lot. I mean, I've been inspired now to reconnect with some of the people that I've lost touch with when I was like working a lot and then also working on the channel. And so I like seeing those brunches he put together and some maybe at, at one point I can make it down to, to Austin at the right time. But uh so I, I feel like in the productivity space, because I u used to use OmniFocus as well, there always seemed to be like a certain trend at certain times. Like for a while, it was getting things done, uh, inbox zero. Like what's going on, like either what happened in 2018 or what's coming up that you see as like a trend in the productivity space? Because I've kind of been out of it for now, for now. Yeah, there's a couple of things that I think people are waking up to. So I think the first one is just home automation. So having like a Google Home or like an Amazon Echo and just creating your own environment to be more productive, right? So there's a lot more automation coming in, uh, devices talking to each other and just like streamlining your life. I think that's going to be a huge thing over the next couple of years. Um, but that's more technology based, right? Uh, personal productivity is not going to change as much. But what I think a lot of people are realizing is how important energy is because people are starting to realize that, okay, you know, yes, I want to have more time. But energy is really one of the most important currencies that we can control and can influence and also impacts our productivity because you can have a whole day set aside to do your taxes, but if you don't have the energy to do it, well, then guess what? <laughs> it's not going to happen, right? So people are like the old school philosophy is kind of like, oh, let's manage our time. Let's create as much time possible, you know, uh, and there's some value in that. But at the end of the day, what we really need to focus on is ourselves. Like how do we manage ourselves? to do the things we need to do, especially the stuff that we're currently not doing. And energy is a huge component of that. So it's like sleeping well, it's eating right, and then exercising frequently and just sticking to the basics. And I think more and more people are starting to realize like, okay, it's not time that's holding me back from writing my book or starting a YouTube channel because if you really are being honest with yourself, you're either spending too much time like watching TV or watching Netflix or you know doing all these other things. 
Um, so time is usually not the issue, but it's actually you know focusing yourself and having the energy to do the things you want to do. Yeah, energy, and, I, and a big one for me is prioritization. It's like I have the time, but I'm not prioritizing it in the right way. So that's good to hear because I used to get a lot of shit in college because I would go to bed at 9.30, 10 o'clock, and like wake up early because I really prioritize sleep. And it seems like I, I definitely um, – it was um, Ariana Huffington, right? She had the big book about sleep a couple years ago, and, and so – it's good to see that people need to get a little more sleep in their lives. Yeah, there's there's almost no penalty for sleeping too much, but there's a lot of penalties for sleeping too little, especially as you uh, start to accumulate what what we call sleep debt, uh, because over time you just feel so fatigued. And like, if you're somebody who, uh, as soon as you close your eyes, you can like nap for three hours, like that's when you know like you're definitely lacking sleep. So definitely catch up on that as as much as you can. I just did my first Hello. float tank today. Oh, nice. I love float tanks. I, I try to do them once a month. And uh, I know you meditate as well, right? And uh, and I thought, man, float tanks, like, what's the point of this? I meditate every day for 10 minutes already. What's the point, right? Uh, but I'm curious to hear your experience. But for me, um, I think it's like, it's like the super power version of like meditation. Because one of the things I've noticed is when I float, um, definitely the next two to three weeks, whenever I'm in a stressful time period, instead of just being really reactive to what needs to be done, I can actually pause for a second and like catch myself if I'm being stressed out and then kind of like calibrate and say, okay, let's just relax for a, minute, for a bit. What's actually the right thing to do? Or let's, let's actually, you know, be conscious about what we need to do next. But I'm curious to hear what your experience has been. Well, this was actually courtesy of Brock. He sent me a, uh, a thing for it. And so I probably wouldn't have done it if I hadn't had that little push, but I definitely, like I, I literally got home an hour ago and, uh, like thinking back on it now, it is the thing of like, I can, I find myself so easily distracted when I try to take time out, but having that forced environment in order to say like, I, if I climb out of here right now, like it's a, a total waste. And so like having that forced time and, and I feel very claustrophobic in normal life. Like I don't like being in close spaces and that is one of like the things I'm afraid of, but I didn't even feel it in the tank. So it was like, I'm very positive all around. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, it, it is like accelerated meditation, you know, like it, I, th I think if I were just to sit down and, and meditate like on a chair, it might take three times as long to get into that same, uh, space as, as floating, you know? So yeah, I'm, I'm glad to use that, uh, that experience, John. That's cool. So we like to do a series of rapid fire questions, um, here on the show that of course we haven't prepared you for but are, are, are you up for that of course let's do it all right cool so yeah just like quick answers um oxfords or brogues oxfords for sure nice lifting or cardio oh lifting by far i i, I don't like cardio at all <laughs> nice uh loafers or sneakers Oh, that's a tough one. I'm going to go with sneakers. I think there's more variation there and more colors and colorways. So I'm going to go with sneakers. Well, what, what's your current favorite pair of sneakers? Uh, I really like the Gucci A sneakers, uh, the, the, the traditional ones, like the white and then like the, the green and red on the side. They're just mm -hmm. so comfy and uh, they don't scuff easy and they don't get dirty easy. So I love them. Nice. Uh, in, in terms of style uh spring summer or fall winter 
Ooh, I'm going to say fall winter just because there's more layering options. And uh, I like the darker colors a little bit more than the brighter colors. Nice. Uh, morning or evening shower? Uh, evening shower. I always do that before I go to sleep. It helps me uh, sleep better. Okay. Jeans, chinos, or trousers? Oh, jeans by far. I'm a jeans person. Diesel jeans, jog jeans. Like, that's my favorite. Nice. Um, favorite diesel loyalty. Yeah, for life. <laughs> and, I, and now you can afford all the diesel jeans you want. <laughs> interesting, interesting fact there is uh, up until like 2017, I'm pretty sure if you looked at my closet, I had like spring, summer, fall, winter of diesel for the like last five seasons in my closet from like 2012 to 2017 or something. Like no joke. Nice. Did you have to Marie Kondo that shit? Yeah, I did. I was going to say, it's a... Uh... Episode is sponsored by Diesel. <laughs> uh, all right, uh, favorite James Bond. If you if you're a fan or have one, uh, I like Pierce Brosnan. Actually, I like them. Nice, yes. nice. I think we're we're all on the same page with that one. Um, notch lapels or peak lapels? Oh, notch lapels for me. Yeah, I'm a smaller guy, so I think they look better on me. Nice, agreed. And then a final question um, for if you, if you had to have just one suit, navy or charcoal? Oh, navy. Yeah, I think uh, more versatile for me. And also, I like I like blue, one of my favorite colors. Very nice. Says the guy in the blue track. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, you've navigated our, uh, our rapid fire questions with ease. You know, some people get really hung up on those, but uh, yeah, you just sailed right through them. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I love those questions. And, uh, you know, it's obviously never easy choices, but, um, you know, when it comes to like, for example, sneakers, like I love sneakers and I, I kind of like put up with like formal wear a little bit, you know, I love wearing formal wear, especially when I host dinner parties and stuff. But like, if I just had to wear whatever I want to wear, it'd be sneakers all the time. If I, if I could. Agreed. Yeah. They're just so comfortable. Yeah, exactly. Like so comfortable. And also, uh, that's why I wore them when I spoke at influential. I was like, Oh, you know, I'm just going to wear my CPs. Like they're just super comfy. Totally. Yeah. I feel like it's also, I don't know, maybe things are just trending more casual these days, but it's just acceptable to wear like, especially if they're nice sneakers, you know, like, like CPs or like any like minimal leather sneaker. Like it's just, it's acceptable to wear them in like a variety of situations, even with like a kind of refined outfit. So can we talk about sneakers for a little bit? Because I know you guys are always trying out different things as well. Uh, so what are you guys wearing nowadays? Um, today I've got on my um, Beckett Seminon, um like gats, like, like their trainer replica type things, um, which I find really comfortable. And they're just kind of like, they're just kind of like a slightly different take on the minimal white leather sneaker or in John's case that you have the uh, dark ones, right? Yeah, I have the black ones, and then I have the blue ones from Oliver Cabell. Mm. Yeah, I I like them. I mean, they're 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 like a little different. So I, I feel like especially if you're in like New York or something, everybody's got white common projects on. So if you have like a Gat type shoe, it just it's just slightly different. You know? Yeah, and there's so many sneaker companies now. Like I was shocked when I was putting together my roundup of like how many there. It's even just companies that do pure sneakers, like Axel Arigato. Like, I never heard of them before, but they have an entire line of, like, they have high tops and low tops and minimal and, and unique ones. And then, like, Greats has some really cool shit. I know Brock has the Pronto. I have, like, the red and 
champagne pronto mm-hmm. and like I keep getting compliments on them and I think I, they're like cheap shoes but people are like oh those are really cool but they're not branded in any way and so there's like there's a just this is a great time for sneakers yeah and I, and of course what's going on with like streetwear and like hype brands but even just for like normal guys it, it's a great time yeah Brock and I were talking at Menflovencia we were talking about like the common projects and stuff and uh, now that they're becoming more common, we, we start to definitely notice, it was, at least with myself too, I'm starting to wear like different colors now. So for example, instead of like the white CPs, I have like a gray one. And now I have like a cream color as well. It's like, uh, it's not quite white because everybody has that, but I want something a little bit different. So I'm going to go for cream or gray. And, uh, and you know, I love like, for example, the CPs, I love the minimalist look in general. And like the German trainers, I, I like those as well because I used to wear those a lot when I was 16 because that was like back, uh, like back then was like a trend. And Diesel made like really awesome like German trainers as well back then, and I loved wearing those. Um, and I miss the days where you could have like Velcro on your sneakers. Like I miss those days because when I was in high school, like I was wearing those kind of sneakers all the time. Yeah, I think I see some hype Nikes now with yeah. Velcro. You can go pick up some of those you have to get it's that's one of those styles you have to like get the app and and like get in the queue and everything oh uh, yeah the sneakers app yeah yeah i know some people are like waking up every single week for that just to get their stuff yeah that's so cool i was surprised i got um through the uh ace marks last kickstarter i got a pair of their sneakers um and it's it's like the common project silhouette but it's brown leather and then a gum sole and I wasn't sure about that colorway, but it's like super, like I wear it all the time. Like it goes with like olive, navy, jeans. Um, it goes really nicely with like any sort of like tan or khaki chino. It's like a really cool color. I'm holding up the Paul Evans model of the minimalist, but it's it's like the Paul Evans leather, but in a sneaker and it's brown. And uh, I just put these on today and I was like, oh, these are actually very nice. Yeah, brown sneakers. <laughs> what kind of sneakers would you guys recommend for most people to kind of get started with? Oh, definitely the well, I'll I'll jump in. I think the minimalist silhouette is like you know the Stan Smiths like you know used to have those in middle school and high school, but like getting a nice something like the Gucci sneaker, but you can get that for like one eighty under two hundred dollars for like a high quality leather, nice sole, very comfortable that'll last you a long time. But I had a question. I keep getting questions of like, if you could do a minimalist, you know, common projects silhouette or the the German Army trainer, what would you get? And like, I would pick the trainer every time because it's unique. It's still stylish, still very comfortable. And uh, you know, I think if you if you have some sneakers, try the GATs for sure. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that you can't go wrong with them. Um, if you wanted something super basic, I would say something like the common project, but if, if you can't afford those or don't want to, I think grace is like a really, really good option. Like I, I mean, John's tried all, all the different minimal leather sneaker brands. I've tried a bunch of them. And I think that like common projects is obviously kind of a gold standard. Koyo is a really good, like number two for, for slightly less money, but greats for the price, especially if you get them on sale is insane. Also what I've, the company that I've started to get more of stuff of now is crown and Northampton. They make their shoes. They're all handmade in England, and they have a model of the sneaker. So it's the minimalist sneaker, but it's a whole cut leather, and it's all handmade, made to order. And uh, 
I keep looking at those and I'm like, I'm going to end up buying one of those pairs right now because they look so good. <laughs> but they have all kind of different styles. Um, they even do like dress shoes and stuff too. So Crown is like this little gem that I've, I've been paying more attention to. One of the things I recently got into myself <clears throat> is more suede sneakers. Like, um, like I have like olive color suede sneakers by by YSL um and I love that pair it's like it's it's like the suede kind of gives it like kind of like a like a different look and it's like a little bit more like casual and like it's still different uh but it kind of looks like like a little bit more upper upper ease like in that sense um and if I had to like me and uh Brock were talking about this in influential we were talking about like what kind of sneaker would you wear or if you only had to pick one like I think every brand has like their own like strengths and weaknesses so for example i love the cps because they're so comfortable and they're easy to break in so um when you buy cps you should always buy them like super fitting because they're going to stretch over time right whereas with for example with the ysl sneakers you have to buy them like at the exact same size that fits you perfectly because they do not stretch whatsoever and it takes like literally 30 to 45 days to break them in and but but the the good thing about that pair of sneaker in my opinion, is that the quality is so good that I remember when you guys came to Austin, I was sitting with Baron of uh, Effortless Gen. We were having barbecue, and he was like, Tan, are those uh, new sneakers? And I was like, no, these are like two and a half years old, and they were like the black YSL sneakers, like all black, because the the leather is so stiff and hard. Like they don't scuff, they don't get dirty, um, so the quality stays like pretty much the same in that sense. Um, and like the Gucci sneakers are, I think, are the most comfortable. Um, and they, again, they don't scuff, they don't get dirty easy. And um, like I can run in the Gucci A sneakers, whereas in the CPs I can't really do that. But they're more comfortable just walking. So every every shoe has like a little little different. And obviously, everybody's foot is differently as well. It's different. Yeah. Have you been to yeah. the Yves Saint Laurent Museum in Morocco, in Marrakesh? No, no. I I believe I saw you went there, right? Yeah, you should put that on your list as a fan of the brand. I I know of the designer, but I like didn't really know much about him. So it was really cool to like learn history and like see all the stuff. But uh, you know, Morocco, Marrakesh, very cool city. So you put that on your uh, your, your wish list. Yeah, I saw your Instagram stories when you went there. It looks really awesome, and I, I love that city. It's always been on my list because I love the colorful buildings and like the colorful stuff that they have there. It's so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, it's it very cool. Well, I'm on my list of uh, things to do today. Speaking of productivity, I, I want to watch um, uh, Gentleman's Gazette's video on Todd's mocks because they they do like this "Is it worth it?" series basically, and and that's the I think they put that one out today. Because I've been thinking about because I have this pair of camp mocks from LL Bean that I got a lot of wear out of in the past couple of years, and I've been thinking about getting like a really nice pair of moccasins, like because they're like slightly different than boat shoes, you know, like a little more like a little less preppy. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm going to be watching that right after we're done here. <laughs> I have a pair from Minnetonka, which are all like handmade, made to order. But yeah, mm -hmm. I just, I saw that one pop up and I was like, okay, that's yeah. This video is sponsored by Gentleman's Gazette. Please check out their YouTube channel. Yeah. Well, you, you know, Raphael's not going to love them. <laughs> I like how John is going to turn around. You can see all these shoe boxes laying there. <laughs> it's like a stack on top of each other. <laughs> well, I have a pair of pods myself turn, and I... I have a pair of navy ones, and I really like them. Uh, and I, I was just super lucky. I got them on sale at Nordstrom Rack for like 50% off. Uh, so I just got super lucky. But I was never able to find another good deal. 
um, unless you go to Mr. Porter and you kind of wait for their sale that they have twice a year because then you can buy like the, the Todd's and stuff like that for like 30 or 40% off too. Um, but you know, you can only buy them like when it's out of season. So you can buy like the Todd Lovers and moccasins when it's like the fall and winter clearance. So sometimes you'll have to wait like a few months before you can actually wear them. But if you want to buy like designer clothing and you want to kind of like have good deals on them, like Mr. Porter sale, the essence sale, like those are some of the best things you can wait for to buy. Cause that's honestly where I get most of my clothing from. Uh, I just wait for those sales to kind of happen uh, and then buy them. And then uh, the only time I really buy like off the rack, like when it's like, you know, full retail price is when I'm traveling or something. Like let's say I'm in Japan or something or wherever, Paris, and I see something that's so cool. I'm like, oh man, I can only buy this here right now. Like, okay, I'm either going to buy it now or never ever again. So that's the only time I'll usually buy retail. Sure. Well, do you uh, get rid of stuff fairly often or do you just have like 12 closets? How does this work? <laughs> Great question. <laughs> so I kind of, I was used to be a minimalist myself. So I used to pride myself on living out of uh, two suitcases when I was traveling and even when I first moved here. And then over time, that's when the whole designer thing kind of picked up when I moved here. Um, so I kind of like started to accumulate a lot of things. Like for example, I used to have like one wallet. Now I have like seven or eight or something, right? <laughs> and like some, some are the same model, just a different color. <laughs> so for example. Um, and so now like once a year, I try to purchase stuff. So when it's like Black Friday, when everybody's like buying stuff, uh, that's the day I usually try to purchase stuff as much as I can. And then I usually just donate stuff that I don't usually wear anymore. Um, or stuff that simply doesn't fit me anymore or whatever, or stuff that was really trendy, but I'm like, nah, I'm not going to wear this any, anytime soon. So I'll just donate it usually. Nice. You, you know, do you sell on Grailed or anything or you just kind of give it away? Um, I've, I've only done that for like a few pieces that I know like, okay, it's going to wor be worth uh, the time to kind of do it. Mm -hmm. Um, cause usually when I purge stuff, I have like an assistant kind of like help me with stuff, like put stuff away and like. Uh, stuff that I want to keep will either get steamed or something. And then the few things that I do want to sell, then you, she will usually put it on Grilled or eBay or whatever, and then she will just sell it. And then I give her like a small commission for all the stuff that she sells. So she's kind of incentivized as well to <laughs> sell as much as possible. Nice. <laughs> so. Hey, 145. <laughs> Classic Asian efficiency going on right here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you can get a really good deal and just say, hey, I'm not going to pay your hourly. If you just sell all this stuff, like you can just, you know, get like 5% or whatever, and you'll be surprised what people are willing to do and what they can make. Yeah, I, I was thinking there's got, there have to be companies that kind of like online, like virtual estate sale companies where if you're moving and you have to get rid of a bunch of stuff, you can like just ship, like, you know, they'll send you like a shipping container or something and you just get rid of all your stuff. They liquidate it for you and then obviously you like take a cut. Let's get, if that's not a service, it should be. <laughs> All right, let's let's trademark that right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, there's there's similar services. So, for example, I I got rid of a bunch of like designer backpacks and bags that I had that I don't really use anymore. Um, and then you can, for example, send it to Fashion File or Yogi's Closet. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that, but that's where like where a lot of women sell their handbags and stuff. So it's kind of like an online consignment shop. But what you can do is you can literally just send it to them. And then they will sell it for you, and then you get paid whenever they sell it uh, at the highest price possible. Or you can sell it to them directly at a fixed price, right? So if you just want to get rid of it right away, you can do that too. 
so those, that's a few times that I've done it where I just like gave it to them and they just sold it whenever and then I would get paid um, whenever they were able to sell it at the highest price. And obviously they take a cut as well, but um, that, that was super simple too. Hmm, interesting. We've got some gems to take away from this. Um, so is there anything that you're uh, like excited about this year, either with your personal you know, productivity journey and, and your travels or with Asian efficiency, like in the next six to 12 months? Yeah, I'm really excited about doing more keynotes. So giving more talks and getting in front of people and just sharing the message of Asian efficiency and personal productivity. So I'm really excited about that. So if anybody's listening or looking for a speaker, more than happy to chat with you. Um, and then other than that, I'm just really excited about spring and summer, just getting to wear different clothes now. Uh, so I, I just finished spring cleaning. I literally just finished like vacuum, not vacuum. Like I have these plastic bags where you can put your clothes in and then suck out the suck out the air and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I had an assistant help me out with that yesterday and kind of like rotate my whole closet now and I can finally wear some other cool and fun things now for uh, spring and summer. So that's <laughs> the other thing I'm really excited about. Nice. Yeah, it's always uh, it's always a little tricky to decide when to do that. You know, when the weather's being weird, you're like, all right, can I? can I put the wool sweaters away now or, you know, especially if you travel, like, am I going to need them in six weeks? Yeah. Now that daylight savings is coming up or when this is going to be life is already passed. But, uh, yeah, that's usually the time for me to kind of like rotate everything and then I'll just suck it up if it's cold or whatever. Nice. Cool. And so where can people go? Uh, we'll put all this stuff in the show notes. Where can people go to find you? Yeah, people can go to asianefficiency.com. Uh, so that's where all the courses are, free content, the podcast as well. And if you want to listen directly to the podcast, you can search us for The Productivity Show. You'll find us on iTunes and everywhere else as well. And if you want to find me on Instagram, just look for uh, The Real Tan. You'll find me there. Cool. Well, thanks, man. It's great having you on the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Buttoned Up Podcast, a collaboration between John Shanahan of The Cavalier and Brock McGough of Modest Man, and we will see you next week.